We're going to continue our three-part series called Declaring War. You know, there's some things in our lives that we have allowed to go on for too long. It's time for them to stop. And for them to stop, for some of these things, we're going to absolutely have to declare war. Lead pastor-elect Sean began this series by declaring war on indifference. I continued this series last Sunday by declaring war on ingratitude. Today, we're going to declare war on iniquity. Does anyone here ever have any problem with sin? If you answered no, you'd lie about other things too. (laughs) Because we all have that problem, right? I want to suggest five things today, five things about sin. The first thing that I want to suggest today is this, and that is sin is a constant battle. It's a constant battle. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then, say then. Yeah, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. They're what? Constantly fighting each other. It's true, my friends. Sin is a constant battle. Found that to be true in your life? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, Paul said, and think about this, this is the apostle Paul, man, I mean, I mean, they don't get any better than this guy, right? And the apostle Paul himself wrote in Romans chapter 7 verse 15, he said, what I want to do, he says, I have trouble doing. And he says, what I desperately don't want to do, he said, that is exactly what I end up doing. Can you relate? And don't forget that, that there are two different types of sin. Two different types of sin. One type is what we call the sins of commission. And the second time, uh, the second type is what we call the sins of omission. Uh, A teacher in third grade Sunday school asked her class what the sins of omission were. And a little boy raised his hand and answered, teacher, those are the sins we haven't got around to yet. (laughs) Well, actually, the sins of commission are the things that we do wrong. The sins of omission are the things that we know we ought to do, and yet we don't do. James said this in James chapter 4 and verse 17. He said, whoever knows the right thing to do and yet fails to do it, it is sin for them. Wow, that nails all of us. Well, here's what I know about sin, and that is some sins are more apparent than others. Would you agree with that? Some sins are more apparent than others. You know, you know some sins are, are, are obvious. They're, they're obvious. They're easy to spot. It's a, it's a clear black and white issue. It's a no-brainer. Other sins, not so much. And some people just love. I I, I mean, they just delight. Some people just love to be the sin police. Oh, they love to be the one that polices sin. They, they, They just love to call out other people for their sin. 
But all too often, and I've witnessed it many times, all too often they are guilty of far worse than the one they are calling out. Let me help you this morning. There are no junior Holy Spirits. I said, there's no such thing as Holy Spirit Junior. Listen, friend, the Holy Spirit doesn't need you to help him do his job. He's more than capable of convicting us of sin. And let me tell you what I've discovered, and that is if people won't reply to the Holy Spirit, if they will not respond to the Holy Spirit, they sure will not respond to us. I've had people tell me down through the years, oh, I just love it, preacher, when you name sin, you know, when you name it. Well, here's what I've discovered. They love it until I name theirs. What they really want me to do is to name the obvious ones, the black and white ones, the, the ones that are spelled out clearly in Scripture. But, oh, they are guilty of a lot of other sins that are not so noticeable. Oh, they want and they're happy and excited when I name sin as long as I stay away from theirs. See, here's, here, here's the problem. Far too often, there's a whole lot more ugly on the inside of the people who are pointing out the ugly on someone else's outside. That deserved more response than that. I'm going to say it again. Far, far too often, there's a whole lot more ugly on the inside of the people who are pointing out the ugly on someone else's outside. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 25. This is Jesus, your sweet little non-offending Jesus now. Your American Jesus. No, not your American Jesus. This is the real Jesus right here. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgent. Blind Pharisee. First, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. And you call me a bulldog. (laughs) Listen, friends, sin is a constant battle, and some sins are more apparent than others. Second thing that I want to say about sin this morning is this, and that is sin is a contributing factor to your problems. Yeah, it is a contributing factor to your problems. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results, say the results. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other such sins. Wow, that's quite, that's quite a list. And notice that not one single thing on that list is positive. See, see, the fact is, sin is a contributing factor 
to our problems. And Paul is so bold that he makes this statement in verse number 21. Paul says, anyone who is living this kind of life will not, will what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, sin is a contributing factor to your problems. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 6 says, evil people are trapped by sin. See, here's, here's the deal. Sin adds pressure to your life. Sin adds pressure to your life. Proverbs 13 and verse 15 in the, new King, in the King James Version says, it says the way of the transgressor is hard. See, see, people think that living for God is difficult. Oh, I just can't live for God. It's just too hard. It's just too difficult. And I will tell you that sometimes it is difficult to live for God. But the wisdom writer wrote that it's the transgressor or the sinner who has it hard. He said it's the way of the transgressor. It's the way of the sinner that is hard. Listen, friend, sin is not your friend. Sin is not your friend. Satan's mission statement is to kill and to steal and to destroy. Sin adds pressure to your life. Just ask the addict who started drinking or started doing drugs to relieve some pressure. And it did until it didn't. Ask the adulterer who found it to be fun and exciting until it wasn't. Until their whole world crumbled around them after they were caught. Proverbs 14 and 12 says there's a path before each person that that seems right, but it ends in death. Sin is a contributing factor to your problems. It adds pressure to your life. Third thing I want to say about sin this morning, and that is sin has consequences. Consequences. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. He says, you will always harvest what you plant. He says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, all of us know this scripture, the wages or the penalty for sin is is death. See, sin has consequences. In light of this, we should assess the true cost of sin. Every single one of us should assess the true cost of sin. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Somebody said that sin will take you farther than you intended to go, that it will keep you longer than you intended to stay, and that it will cost you more than you intended to pay. So in light of that this morning, before you give in to your sinful nature, before you allow yourself to get involved in that taboo relationship or or partake of that forbidden fruit, before that you do that, you better assess the true cost of sin because sin has consequences. 
Just ask people like Adam, ask people like Eve, ask people like Samson, like David, like Judas. Oh, no doubt you know somebody that very, very close to you that, that has had to pay the high cost of sin. Oh, oh man, perhaps, perhaps you yourself have experienced it. In light of all that I have said so far today, my fourth point that we should know is this, and that is sin should be combated. Sin should be combated. The Bible says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, Paul writes and he says, Finally, my brethren, I think he's including the cistern too. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 says to fight the good fight of faith. The what of faith? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says work at living a holy life. Hear me, friends, sin doesn't play games. It doesn't play games. It doesn't roll over and play dead. It doesn't fight fair. It hits below the belt. Ephesians 6 says that we have been provided with protective armor that covers us from head to toe. And it also says that we have been given offensive weapons like prayer and the word of God. Listen to me, friend. Salvation is free and we cannot earn it. You must understand that. It is a free gift that we cannot earn. But listen, friend, even though salvation, now hear me, even though salvation is free and we cannot earn it, but we will have to fight to keep it. It's given to us freely, but we're going to have to fight in order to keep it. You know, we just love to say this, and it's true that we cannot do anything to make God love us more or less, and that's true, but I hardly ever make that statement because I don't want to give people a license, and I think people take a license with that sometimes. Listen, let me tell you something. There's nothing that my kids can do to make me love them more than I do, but there's some things they can do to make me like them better. We cannot do anything to make God love us any more or any less, but we can make him like us more or like us less. And I don't think we hear enough about that. We only hear that one side. Can't do anything to make God love you more, nothing less. No, but you can tick him off. 
How many has ever been on God's bad side? Come on. I'm just being real with you. I preach the real truth. Preach the whole, whole counsel of God, both sides of it, all of it. Amen. Can't do anything to make God love us more or less, but, but our actions do please him or displease him. Just read the word and you'll see this pleases God. That displeases God. This pleases God. This was not pleasing to God. Listen, we may not be able to make God love us more or less, but we can please him or we can displease him. And when we displease God, we will be chastised for it. Because he whom the father loves, he chastens and disciplines And if he does not discipline you, you're not truly a son. You're illegitimate. That's what the Bible says. Amen? Amen? So it matters how we live. It matters how we live our life. See, God not only wants to save us, he also wants to sanctify us. He wants to sanctify us. He loves us just like we are. He loves us too much to leave us in our stinking, rotten place we're in. So our whole life is a life of God sanctifying, setting us apart, making us holy and righteous through his power and through his ability. Amen? And so God has done his part. Now he wants us to do our part. Look at uh, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. It says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to it. Add to your faith. What? Virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. Add, add, add. And to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Be what? Who? Who should be more diligent? Us. Us. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice verse number 10 says, but even be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Listen, friends, sin should be combated. And one of the ways that we can do this is we should adopt some moral absolutes. We should adopt some moral absolutes. Absolute. Second Timothy chapter two and verse nineteen says, "All who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil." And verse number twenty-two says, "Run, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts." 
Listen, friend, one way to combat sin is to adopt some moral absolutes. Now, the Bible plainly gives us some, right? They're called the Ten Commandments. Notice they're not called the Ten Suggestions. And then there are other absolutes in the Bible as well. Things called out as black and white. But listen, friend, listen, listen. Not only should we adhere to the absolutes made plain to us in Scripture, and we should, but all, listen, we also should have a personal list of absolutes of our own. I'm not talking about getting into legalism. I'm talking about having our own set of personal convictions that we hold ourselves accountable to. Drawing the line in the sand and setting up boundaries for ourselves in order to to keep us as close to the Lord as possible and keep us as far away from sin as possible. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, let us lay aside every weight that slows us down and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Somebody said that Satan has designed a a trap to fit every foot. See, See, what might trip you up might not trip me up and vice versa. See, see, I don't know that much about fishing, but I do know that you don't catch catfish with the same bait that you catch bass with. Satan knows which bait to use on us. Hey, and all of us know the areas where we are most vulnerable. And in these vulnerable areas of our lives where we are weak and easily drawn in, we should adopt some personal moral absolutes. We should declare to ourselves, I'm not going there. You can go there, but I, I can't go there. I know what will happen if I go there. So, so moral absolute number one for me is I'm not going there. I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about. It doesn't, it's different in all of us, but just declaring, I'm not going there. That's, a, that's somewhere I'm not going. I'm not doing that. It might be okay for you to do that, but it's not okay for me to do that. And I'm not condemning you for doing that, but I can't do that. It's a moral absolute. It's something I've decided I can't do. I can't be with these people. Because I know what happens when I'm with these people. I know I don't pull them up, they pull me down. And because of that, I've drawn the line in the sand. I've made an absolute. I can't be with these people. I'm not going down that path, whatever that path might be. I've drawn the line in the sand and moral absolute for me is I'm not going down that path. Not going down that path. And hear me, friend. Please, please, please hear me. Not in some self-righteous, pharisaical, Betty better than you kind of way. That makes me sick. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have things we have to work on. Amen. Nobody's perfect. We all have things that we are. We're all a work in progress. And not holding anyone other than ourselves accountable to those personal moral absolutes. That, that's for me. It may not be for you, but it's for, it's for, it's for me. Right. Right. Let me tell you, and it's come out a couple of times because whatever's in the heart comes out of the mouth. 
I am just disturbed at how loosey-goosey we're getting in church today and how loosey-goosey it's even getting in ministry. And I'm around some ministers, I'm around some preachers, and they use certain words, and I'm going, really? Are they going to hell for that word? No, but they may call somebody else to that's looking up to them and respecting them. And it's definitely not necessary. Come on, that's a world word, not our word. Hey, it's just me. These are our moral absolutes. And we do this. We do this not to become a Pharisee, not to become legalistic, not to be saved by works. We do this. We do this because we know what the future results will be if we don't. Hey, pastor, don't you have any good news for us today? I sure do. I sure do. And here it is, number five. The fifth thing I want to talk about about sin today is this, and that is sin has been conquered. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 says, So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Friend, the truth of the matter is we cannot conquer sin on our own, and God knew it, and so he sent his son Jesus to conquer it for us. And here's the good news this morning. The good news is this. That is, our sins can be absolved through faith and repentance. Listen to these scriptures. You know this one by heart, Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And 1 John 1 and 9 says that if we confess our sins, if we what? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The takeaway for the message this morning is this, and that is when it comes to sin, we have two choices. Overcome it or be overcome by it. The devil spoke to me yesterday. Has the devil ever spoke to you? The devil spoke to me yesterday and said, that sermon you're going to preach tomorrow, you know, is going to be the cream of the crop that's going to be there. You got to put two services together to get one crowd. It's only going to be the cream of the crop that's going to be there. The devil said to me, you're preaching to the choir. (laughs) And then I remembered about some of my choir members. We clean up pretty good on Sunday morning, don't we? We look better than we've looked all week long. And most of the time we act better than we have all week long. I mean, we may have a screaming match on the way to church, but as soon as that car door hits, we put that smile and that holy glow I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I also know about the choir. 
I've had everything you can imagine in the choir. You name it, it's been in the choir. We're all at different places in our journey, but every single one of us have a battle with sin. Yours might be the black and white ones. Mine might be the gray areas. Some, it's evident on the outside, but others, they are rotten to the core on the inside. When it comes to sin, we have two choices, overcome it or be overcome by it, which will it be? And let me reiterate, we can't overcome it on our own, but we can overcome it with God's Father, I just pray today that you'll take your word today. Holy Spirit, take the word, the pure word, not not my sermon, but but the word, the pure word that came out through the sermon today. Take your word today, Holy Spirit. Let it do a work in the heart of the people today. Do your work of conviction. Do your work today. 